everybody, Jeff Cowan here from Jeff Cowan's Pro Talk, and I'm back with a new edition of my podcast entitled Right Service, Write Your Own Paycheck, The Path to Making Over $100,000 a Year When Writing Service in the Automotive Industry in the United States of America, Canada, and or Australia. And you know, at this very recording, just over 20% of you are making $100,000 a year or more writing service, which is great, but that means that nearly 80% of you are not. So what do we do about that? Like I always say, I think you're doing the smartest thing you can do, and that is to watch me because I'm going to give you the techniques, the word tracks, and the processes you need to be successful. I'm going to encourage you to go to my website, uh, AutomotiveServiceTraining.com, AutomotiveServiceTraining.com, because there you will find all the techniques and processes, word tracks, and tools you need to put yourself in that $100,000 a year club. Well, I'm back with part two of a message. You'll remember that last week I talked to you about uh, how we were going to do a series of meetings based on how to find service advisors, how to hire them, how to train them, and how to keep them forever. And I must have really hit a note because I tell you, the, the response we got from the, from the first part that we showed last week has been nearly overwhelming. The phone calls, the emails, the texts, the questions tells me that you really, really liked it. And I thank you for all your support. I thank you for all those questions. And I thank every one of you that called in and, and uh, talked to me. I love talking to you. And by the way, if you're watching this and you want to call me up and talk to me personally, 317-506-1003, 317-506-1003. If you just want to call and get some general information, by the way, you can call us at 800-248-2931, 800-248-2931. But back to the what we're doing here today. So now we're ready for part two of the message. You remember that what the overall message is about is, again, is how to find service advisors, how to hire them, how to train them, and how to keep them. And last week we talked about how to attract and hire them. How how to write an employment ad and then how to interview them and again the response was overwhelming this week in part two we're going to talk about training them to make them successful within 30 to 60 days so again training them to make them successful within 30 to 60 days and that should be your goal okay and when I say successful I'm, I'm not talking about on the path to being successful I'm telling you within 30 to 60 days they're posting numbers like your best service advisors are and that's what you're gonna learn how to do here in this message and then remember it's a three-part message this is number two we'll be back next week with the final message and I would just want to say this about next week so you're prepared you want to get anybody in your building to watch that because even though it's tied to these first two messages it's a it could be a standalone message on motivation and goal setting I think you really like that but if you for today, part two of finding service advisors. Today we're talking about training these people once you've hired them, training them to make them successful within the first 30 to 60 days. I know you're going to enjoy the message, and with that, you have a great day, a great week, and I'll see you next week with part three. God bless you all. Now, we, now we, we've, we, we, we've uh, placed the ad. We've got the person in front of us. We did the pre-interview and they passed that, we interviewed them, and now we've hired them. So this is the next part of the equation. How do we get them to, to, to the point where they're successful and they want to stay? And it's simple. you got to train them. You can't expect them to do what you've not taught them to do. So I will give you an example of a very successful training program. First, and this I think is the most important thing, you have to decide who you are. Now this is one of the biggest missing pieces in service. You see, the manufacturers, I think, have done you a big disservice because they're making you believe as dealers and service managers that you need to be everything to everybody, right? You need to be Walmart, Target, Macy's, and Nordstrom's all in the same place, and you can't. 
Because it's real simple. A Walmart person typically won't go to Nordstrom's, and a Nordstrom's person typically won't go to Walmart. So you have to figure out who your customer base is and build a brand around that. And it's the first step. Now, this isn't that far a stretch. Think about it. We do it in vehicle sales, right? Any of you dealers out there that are in, in the major metropolitan areas, you've always got dealers at the high-volume dealer, the low-price dealer, the no-down-payment dealer, the biggest selection dealer, we're going to wow you dealer. See, those are brands, and they're branded like that because it draws a certain person in. So you need to figure out who your demographic is and brand yourself or decide who you are, okay, because you can't be everything to everybody. I mean, again, I'm going to blame this on the manufacturers. They tell you to slow down, take control, spend time with the customers so you can build a relationship and get them back. And then they step over here and say, we want you to get Express Lube, take anybody that walks in the door and get them in and out in 30 minutes. <laughs> We want you to get customer retention, so we want you to do, we want you to build a great big, uh, nice, nice uh, uh, waiting room. Make them comfortable. But then they teach in the next class, one of the worst things you can do is have a waiter, because waiters are problems. I mean, they, they try to make you believe you gotta be everything to everybody, and you can't. They're just throwing darts at the wall. Trust me on this, decide who you are. And then once you decide who you are, number two, what you're going to do is develop a process to support who you are. All right, and then once you do that, let's get into the training process itself. You're going to train your staff to execute the process. Now, this is part of the training program. You'll see where it says a service advisor contract. And by the way, everybody out there, if you want to copy what I'm showing, I'm not sure if the best training day is going to give it to you or not, you stop by, I can give, you, uh, give me your name, I'll email this to you, no problem, because this is some important stuff. But here's what a service contract looks like. Okay, go ahead and put it up there. Now, I know it's really hard to read up there, but here's what it is. Now, if you were with us last year, or you've been in any of my classes lately, you know that when I'm teaching service advisors, I tell them to never use the word contract. And the reason I tell them to never use the word contract because what, what do your parents tell you about contracts? They're what? They're binding. You're committed. Read it before you sign it, right? And so what it does in the selling process, it gets people to ask all kinds of goofy questions, and they don't care what the answer is. So I say use things like form, paperwork, agreement, and people rarely object to that, and they just give you their John Henry, and they go on. But in this situation, I want you to use the word contract because I want this new employee to understand that what we're talking about is binding. It is serious. So here's what I'm going to do. I placed the ad. I did the pre-interview. I interviewed them. I hired them their first day, first thing when they walk in the door. You know what I'm going to give them? That. And I'm going to tell them this. I want you to sit down and read this. You'll remember when we did the interview, I gave you a list of 15 things you were going to be required to do if you were to accept a position. This is merely a contract that repeats that and says that you're committed to doing that, tells you what happens if you do it, tells us what happens if you're successful, tells us what happens if you exceed our expectations, and tells us what happens if you don't. So I want you to read over it again, make sure you're clear on it and you're still in on it. I'll go get you a cup of coffee because it's going to take you about 10 minutes. I come back, your signature's on it, we'll go to work, I'll start training you. But for anything on this list that you've changed your mind on, tell me, I'll try and talk you through it, but if I can't convince you that, it's, that it needs to be done and you know you really can't do it, tell me now, I'll cut you a check for 100 bucks and we'll part friends. So right at the get-go, I want him to know, I'm serious. This ain't no game. This isn't, this isn't just a fun place to come and hang out. Okay, this is work. Now, I put this up here, and I'm going to tell a story. And I wasn't going to tell the story because I don't like to tell, tell it very often because I don't think it makes me look like the smartest guy in the room. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, that's not what did that. 
Okay. You <laughs> All right. So, but there's, there's two dealers that are represented today, and they said, look, if you're, we're going to the best training day, and we'd appreciate if you tell that story again, because I think it'd be good for my people to hear it. So here's what it is. The reason I like this contract is what it tells your people is, is this is a business deal. We've hired you to do something, and we're going to pay you to do something. And if you do it, then great, you're going to make a lot of money, you get to stay for a long time, or we'll give you a gold watch in 30 or 40 years. But if you don't do it, then you're probably not going to get to stay. And in service, this is one of the hardest things for service advisors to do. Here's the story. I was in a Dealer 20 meeting, and I made it my, my presentation, and a uh, dealer, when it was over, he said, raised his hand, and he said, Jeff, I liked your presentation. I think it's got a lot, of, a lot of good stuff in it. He said, I've seen you speak several times throughout the years, and I've taken these suggestions back to our dealership, and I've tried to uh, implement them time and time again, but we can't get our guys to do it. We can't get them to walk around cars. I can't get them to use the word tracks. I can't get them to follow the process. So what do you say to that, Jeff? And so in my sarcastic way, I looked back and said, you pay him, right? And he said, no, seriously. I said, let me put it to you this way. I said, uh, if you were to place an ad this week for a car sale, and you pulled onto your lot Saturday morning, and you're stunned because at 9 o'clock in the morning, there's already 50 or 60 people out on the lot looking at these cars, and you know it's going to be a big sale day, right? But as you're looking at the lot, you see there's no salespeople out there. So you quickly park your car, you run inside, and you look, and you find all your salespeople in the showroom floor looking out the window. And you look at them and say, what are you guys doing in here? The customer's out there, and they look back at you and say, come on, boss, it's cold outside. We don't want to go stand out there. Don't you think if somebody's really serious, they'd come in and ask to drive one? And I asked that dealer, and I asked all those dealers, and I asked all the dealers here in that situation, if that happened to you, what would you do? I'm not even going to make you answer. I know what you'd do. You'd look at those salespeople and say, you're paid to sell cars and you need to get out of my lot and start selling them. If you don't want to do that, then get out of here. And the reason you're willing to do that is because you see that as a business deal. That's what the relationship is with that salesperson. Nothing more, nothing less. I pay you to do something, you do it, you get to stay and get paid well. If not, you got to go. In service, though, we can't do that. See, we get this illusion in our mind that these are our friends and these are our families. We'll go to dealerships, and I'll stand and say, look, I want to talk to you about this young lady over here. Working with her all day long, and well, time out. We know she's not the best advisor, but you know what? She's got two kids, and we just she's been here so long. Okay, so I'm not going to be working with her this week. Let's talk about him. Well, you know, be careful with him because, you know, he comes in every day 30 minutes before anybody else and opens up the building and gets all the lights turned on. And all. Okay, so we're not working with him, so let's go to this guy. So we think they're friends and family. They're not. Okay, you need to stop looking at it that way. It's no, there's no harm treating them like friends and family, but they're not. Now, here's how I learned this. I learned it the hard way. You see, I made the same mistake. We all know what happened in 2008, bad year. Well, let me tell you how bad it was for us. You're our customers. So if you're not making money, you're not selling cars, guess what else you're not doing? You're not buying training. I know that a bunch of you had meetings, you said, we can either keep donuts in the, in the waiting room or we can hire Cowan. And donuts won most of the time. I'm okay with that. I get it. <laughs> but here's what happened. The lowest point in ProTalk's Talks history, 29 years. Up to that point, it was about 20-something. March 2009 was the lowest point. And I noticed that my wife, Candy, was not sleeping very well. And so one morning, I just woke up at 1 o'clock. I turned on the lights. After several weeks of that, I said, honey, what's wrong? And she simply looked at me and she said, are we going to be okay? Tough deal. I mean, that's a tough deal. 
And so I looked back at her and I said, here's the facts. You married a salesperson. I don't know what's going to happen to ProTalk. I'm out there giving it my all. And, 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 and if it all ends tomorrow, then what a ride it's been, huh? But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You want to know why? You married a salesperson. You married a salesperson, and I'm a master salesperson. I know how to sell stuff, move product, and by doing so, I'll make a lot of commissions. So if ProTalk goes away, I will, you'll be fine. I told you I'd get put you in a house, and you, can, and you can have the house you wanted. If it's this one, we'll stay in this one. You're never going to lose it. You want to drive the car you want to drive? If that, the one that you got in your driveway, there it is. You're going to continue to drive that. When it comes to eating, you'll never have an empty belly because you married a salesperson at the end of the day, and when we live in a nation like we do, when we make a lot of product, people need salespeople move that product and I can move that product and they will pay me well to do it. You have nothing to worry about. Seemed to calm her down. Started sleeping well. But I never forgot that. For the next several months it bothered me and the reason it bothered me is because when 2008 September hit me and my wife sat down and we made a decision. We said this isn't fair to the staff. They didn't sign up for this. So they, what we've got to do, because I thought they were my friends and families, we got to protect them. So I went out and did more free workshops I've ever done. I wrote more articles than I've ever written. I went and stood on service drives for free, showed up places where people didn't know I was going to be there, and I did everything I could to make sure that not one person's income over the next year went down because of their friends, I mean because of their families and their mortgages and the like. And I don't regret it, and I'm not bitter, by the way, as I tell this story. I gave it all. But it hit me. These people that I thought were my friends and family, because nobody lost income that year, except for me and the wife. Me and the wife lost 70%, 7-0. 70 70% of our income, like that. But it hit me. During that time, when I was out there giving it my all, and I'd do it again. These were my friends and family. Because during that time, not one time did one of my trainers call me up and say, you know what, I'm standing on the service drive. I've been here for four days. They need a fifth day. I know you can't afford to pay me. I know the dealer can't afford to pay me. But it's the right thing to do. So if you don't mind, I'll stay around on my time and make it work so we can build the company. Not one time did they do that. Not one time did one of my trainers get back to a hotel room on the East Coast at 6 in the evening, knowing it's only 3 on the West Coast, and say, can I call 10 or 15 people? Can I get something going? Can I help out, boss? Not once. Not once did those trainers, when they were off once every six weeks at home doing their paperwork for five days, call me up and say, I can do my paperwork tonight. Today, do you mind if I get on the phone and call 100 people and make something happen? Not one time did anybody in the office come in on one of those Saturdays or Sundays when I was preparing for a free workshop to keep them employed and say, can I help? Not once. And so it hit me like a bowl of light. These were not my friends and family. It's a business deal. I pay them to do something, they do it, and they go, and they go home. They get paid. And I'm okay with that. Now, here's the reason I'm okay sharing that story with you. Because you're doing the same thing. Most people are still doing it. Because I want to ask you, when things got tough in 2008 and you didn't know, and they were closing down thousands of dealerships across the country, two manufacturers going to bankruptcy, and you didn't know, and your butt was on the line. How many of your advisors came to you and said, do you mind if I stay an hour late tonight and call people who decline services all week and see if I can get them back in? How many did that? How many called you and said, can I come in on Saturday and sit all day and call customers we've not seen in six months and see if I can get them back in? How many did that? How many came to you and said, boss, I've been fighting you and opened up on Saturdays and Sundays. I found seven technicians. They'll come in. If you'll allow us to open the shop at 7 and close it at 5 on Saturday and or Sunday, we'll do it. How many did that for you? Well, I'm not even going to make you answer because I know the answer. The answer is zero. Why? Because they see it for what it is. It's a business relationship. You pay them to do something, they do it. Everybody's happy. But if they're not doing it, stop paying them. They're not your friends. You can find somebody else to come in 30 minutes early and turn on the lights.
There's another mother out there that has two kids that's willing to work to make sure her kids have the best, not just enough to get by, and they'll invest in you. So when I have somebody come in, because we do this at ProTalk, first day, I do exactly what I just said with a contract. Every employee at ProTalk signs a contract, and I give that same speech. It's a business deal. And until you get everybody to understand that, you're done before you get started. Let's, take, let's go on further here. Okay, initial training. Now, the best way, find my marker here. Best way, as I'm walking over here, anybody in here familiar with CBT News? You watch that on, it's the morning uh, uh, news show? Round of applause, anybody know what CBT News is? Sure you do. Well, there's a young lady on there by the name of Bridget. She's an anchor, have you seen her before? She's going to be out in the hallway after this is over. She's not here right now. Today is her birthday, so make sure you say happy birthday, all right, to Bridget. Also, they gave me a show on there every Tuesday. It's called Service Drive, if you want to, uh, if you want to uh, watch me on that. But here's what I'm talking about when I say initial training. One of the mistakes that we make with service advisors is we assume, even though they're salespeople, that they're, mind, they're like-minded when it comes to salespeople who sell cars. What I mean is, if you hire a salesperson, you run an ad, they walk in the front door, and they know that they're going to have to memorize 50, 60, 70 word tracks. It's that mindset. And they'll do it within two or three weeks because they want to jump into the game. Service advisors have a different mindset. And if you rush them and push them too fast, when it comes to training them, they won't pick it up. So we have a system, of, I'll show it to you very briefly here. It's called the no rush. So let's say you decide how many steps is in your training. Okay, so let's say it's eight, nine, 10, whatever. What you're gonna do is you bring them to class the first time, you talk about your policies, you talk about how you're gonna walk around cars and the word tracks, and then that first class, the first day you put them out in the service area, you say, tomorrow all I want you to do is work with one customer. And when you do, I just want you to walk their car. That's it. And if you got advisors out there already, and you wanna put a system in place, step by step. End of the day, most important part of the no rush system is you have a 15 minute meeting. Here's what that 15 minute meeting sounds like. There were 45 customers today. There were three of you service advisors. Each one of you wrote up 40 or 15 customers. I saw each one of you just walk around a car. When I say walk around a car, here's what I'm asking them to do. Mr. Customer, we have a new process. Every time you come in, we're gonna walk around your car just like I just did, follow me over here. Because you wanna convince them that walk around a car is not gonna hurt them. Everybody signs off the first day. Yeah, we can walk around cars. It went real well. Well, good. Tomorrow, what I want you to do is I now want you to, to uh, turn on the lights. And then the next day, we're going to look at the tires. And the next day, we're going to pop the hood. You see, day by day by day, step by step. Don't take and put the next step in place until they got the, one, the current one down. Now, this method is going to take you, when you have a brand new service advisor or your current service advisors, about 30 days to put in place. But that's okay, because there's no rush. It's not how fast you can get them there that's going to make the difference. The fact that what does matter is, is once you get them there, can they do it? Do they understand it? Will they support it? And can they be successful? So the initial training starts out with that. And then we have weekly training. Now, what's different about weekly training with service advisors is we don't have to have a meeting like we do every, every day with salespeople, so to speak, you know, for 30 or 45 minutes, like a lot of car dealerships do. We don't have to have a meeting with them once a week. That's an hour but you do need to have a weekly meeting with them that's at least 15 to 20 minutes long. And when I'm talking about a meeting, I'm talking about a sales meeting. Now, if you have to have a meeting that has other things in it, like housekeeping and that, that's one thing, but 15 to 20 minutes dedicated to a weekly sales meeting. And what you could talk about in that is a, is a new close, a new part of the process. We need to go back and look at something we're failing on. Weekly sales meeting. And then from that, we're going to role play. 
I think role play proves that God has a sense of humor myself. But I tell you what, it's valuable. And here's what's cool about it. You get people start role playing and you show them that there's no way around it, that we're always going to role play, and you do it with them in class, and they start to see the value in it. Because see, this is one of the things Bev did. Remember the furniture lady? See, her training process was so strict and so on the mark, it was a three-week training process before we were ever allowed to talk to our first customer. But here's what was dynamic about it. She had us role play every possible situation we could ever put ourselves in. We do this at dealerships now. We'll role play with service advisors, and we will make sure that they can do everything that's going to come through that front door, good, bad, or indifferent. And what happens when you have a new advisor, when they walk out that first day, they have a confidence like you've never seen before because you put them in every possible situation. And then when they get out there, and what they role play really worked, guess what they want to do when you introduce a new technique? They literally will look at you and say, this is a new clothes. Do you mind if I read it off to you a few times so I can get an idea of how it sounds? They will love role playing. Every smart salesperson role plays. Then what we're going to do is we have a sales board. This is extremely important. Now, the sales board, I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Here's an example of one. It doesn't probably look much different than what you have on the sales side. But we're going to put this in a place in the dealership where every employee can see it every day, not just the advisors every employee. Now, we don't want customers to see it for the obvious reasons, but what you do is we're going to put it up, and you're going to rank them daily, your advisors. Advisor one for yesterday, yesterday, who, here's who's number two, this one was number three, and what you're measuring is the customer hours per reparator, the effective labor rate, total dollars sold, survey scores, income you can choose to put up there or not, and percentage of where they are hitting the goals for the month. Now, nothing will drive a salesperson to be competitive or a few things will, more than a sales board. Because guess where everybody wants to be? At the top. Guess where nobody wants to be? At the bottom. And then we're going to follow that up with even this. What we're going to do now is we're going to put a daily sales sheet out. Now, this is extremely important. You want to talk about commitment. You want to talk about accountability. Put this out there. And here's what it is. You print these up by the pads. And the first thing a service advisor does when they come in in the morning is they fill this out. They put their name. They put their date. To meet or exceed my monthly sales goals, I will accomplish the following today. Total number of repair orders. I'm going to write this many. Customer paid hours per repair order. This is what it's going to be. My effective labor rate is going to be this. My total dollar sales are going to be this. I'm going to follow up, do this many follow-up phone calls. I'm going to send this many thank you notes. And they sign it, and they give it to you. And then tomorrow when they come in, they take a look at where they are, and they either have to up their game or they're on, on their mark. They always know where they stand. And what it tells them when they start out the day is is this is the game plan. We have a game plan. And it forces them to sit down and look at the repair orders. It forces them to come in a half hour early because they got to see who's coming in, what it is they need, so they can make these predictions. And it tells them we're serious, and they love it. Okay? And they love it. Now, oh, go back if you will. This note down here does not have to be on this, this daily sell sheet. I just put that up there because when we're doing thank you notes, I want to share something with you that I've noticed here over the last couple of years. You know, there was a time when a handwritten thank you note was really the only way you could thank somebody. You, know, you could pick up the phone, but a real true professional always wrote a handwritten thank you note. And then emailing comes along, everybody does that. And that makes you look good for a while because you're on the cutting edge. And then texting and all these different methods, then video and the whole thing. And all that stuff's good and all that stuff will help. But nothing will make a customer know that you're serious about what you're saying in that thank you note like a handwritten thank you note. It's come back full circle. Because I don't know about you, but when I get a text or an email from somebody, Okay, 
knowing that they can do it on their phone while they're standing in line at the grocery store. Always wondering what they're doing. What are they doing when they type this? Came from their computer. But if somebody's sitting down and they're handwriting a thank you note, they're thinking about me. Has more impact. All right, we'll go on. You guys okay? Good, because I got to look for my wife. No more jokes. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Constantly search out new products and ideas. Never want to stop searching. And you're going to take control and stop waiting. Factory's not coming with the program. Well, they do. But we've all seen the results of that. Okay? There's not going to be anybody come in with a magic plan or magic seed or anything like that. It's you. Take control and start now. So, replace the ad.